Uh, today's kind of a unique gathering for us, uh, an unusual gathering. It's our annual community meeting. As an official 501c3 organization in the state of California, we are required to have an annual meeting of our members. We happen to gather as a membership every Sunday, so we kind of got that part covered. But we um, are looking forward to sharing some good stuff about the kind of the state of our community together. As we begin, I'm going to ask the ushers to hand out Bibles. I'm going to share briefly towards the end of the morning um, from Luke 24, which is on page 738. Luke 24. Also, do you have handouts? I didn't either. Um, you, I hope you have two handouts. Um, Sharon, can you hold those up? There is a full-page handout. Everybody needs one of those. And then there's a rat card that we just had printed. Thanks, Anglin. Appreciate that. So uh, we're going to work through this full sheet today as a community. Uh, lots of information about the last year of our life together here. And then these rat cards that we're bringing out today, this is, a, this is like a summary or a, a condensing of a whole set of rat cards we had in the lobby over the last year or so. Um, we put it all into one. And the thinking is, this is a great piece to hand off to friends uh, when you're inviting people to church, people, this is like Emmaus in a glance. That's what this is meant to be. So what's going on? What is your church involved in or whatever? This is what this is, what this is for. And they're going to live all over the place, but specifically in that rat card um, uh, arrangement there on the side of the wall by the bookstore. So please take advantage of these and uh, feel free to hand them out. All right. So today, part family talk, part story time, part sermon going to blend a bunch of stuff together. It's a great day to be here. It's an unusual day to be here. If this is your first time with us, I hope you feel right at home. We're going to like welcome you into the kitchen. You can sit here at the bar, and we're just going to share oh, what's really happening in the church, and you're welcome to be here. <clears throat> I hope you'll stay a while. Typically, our Sunday gatherings go 80 minutes. Today, we're, we're trying to do it in 60 minutes, and the thinking there is that we'll have a little bit more time, and we'll have some extra food, and I hope you just hang out a little bit. And I'm hoping others will come a little early at the 11, and that you'll be able to interact with some folks that typically go to the other gathering, make some time to connect. Kids ministry will happen the whole full 80, so if you have little kids, you'll have about 20 minutes to hang out without them, but then please make sure you get them by, uh, by 10.30, all right? <clears throat> Specifically asked to say that. Kids by 10.30. Okay, well, you're probably ahead of me, but I want to I hit some highlights by the numbers here this morning. I may need this. Let me get, just get a little platformish. If you could pull that out. Um, all right, I was a big Sports Illustrated fan as a kid, and uh, they would always have this thing inside Sports Illustrated, like by the numbers. So I kind of, I've kind of never lost that and would like to hit a couple of those. A few things that are happening in the community that really, I think, are exemplified and, and we can celebrate them well by hitting some numbers. Ten new families joined our community in 2018. You can see them there. If you don't know them, get to know them. These are fantastic folks, individuals, families from all kinds of backgrounds at different stages in their life. And we're so grateful that each of these have um, joined the church this year. We, our understanding of church, friends, is that it is a community. It's not a building, and it's not an event. It's more like a family. And so we want to continue to share life together. We want to share burdens together. We want to share our joys together because of our common commitment to Jesus and one another. 
And that's why church membership is so important because it's an expression of commitment to a local, uh, to a local body. Um, and every organization that makes a difference in the world is an organization made up of committed members. So it's not about in, out. Today's one of the only days you'll hear us really talk about what members can and can't do. But uh, the, the heartbeat behind membership is the value of the expression of commitment to a local community. Ten new families a part of our community this year. Uh, secondly, more people worshipped in our community at Emmaus in 2018 than ever before. 309 people gathered here on an average each Sunday of 2018 and worshipped God in word and sacrament. And that included... 55 kids each Sunday. Here's the thing that a lot of us don't see with our own eyes. There's 55 kids uh, being taught the word of God and loved by some great folks whom we really appreciate um, each Sunday. All right, third, and you're going to hear more about this in a a minute, Um, more ministry is happening outside the walls of our church community than ever before. One example is the Foundry Youth Center, which has been a real focus for us this weekend. An average of 25 kids attend the Foundry every day after school. Anglin's going to share more about that. And as an outreach of the Foundry Youth Center, this is exciting, we started support groups at Phoenix High School, which is a continuation high school here in Lincoln. 42% of the students at Phoenix High School are voluntarily participating in support groups led by volunteers from this church. That is starting to make a difference outside the walls of this place, and that's super exciting. All right, and then a final number that really, I think, reveals the heartbeat of our church is the number 88. And you can see it there on your handout. 2018, this church... Um, of just a few hundred people, gave away over $88,000 to other solid organizations doing good restorative work. And this is both locally and internationally. It doesn't even include the foundry. Wow, that's awesome. So I'm talking about stuff like addressing sex trafficking in Cambodia, feeding people who lost their houses to fire in uh, paradise, I'm talking about starting new churches throughout the Sacramento area. I'm talking about um, practical, like paying electricity bills for people who are in need. Um, All kinds of ways of really practically restoring um, lives here and in, in places around us. Your strong commitment, friends, to submitting your finances to God and to sharing some of what you've been entrusted with with others is having this amazing effect of making of doing restorative work in all kinds of other places. Not only are you, uh, are we together providing for the needs of our church, which is what most churches are going to talk about at their annual meetings, is how much the church needs. Not only are you providing um, strongly for the needs of the church, but above and beyond, we are participating in real restorative efforts all around the city of Lincoln and the surrounding communities as well. Amen? Amen. We should clap for that. That's a big deal. All right. <clears throat> All right, speaking of restoration, I want to update you on the, the mortgage that we hold on this facility, on the theater. The church's only debt is the, the debt that is connected to the mortgage here on this 
Theater. A little background, we purchased this facility in 2017 for about a million dollars. We had two goals in purchasing this, this building, and each goal came with a challenge. First, first goal was our church needed a home. For 13 years, we've been renting cafeterias at local elementary schools for a couple hours each Sunday, setting up, tearing down out of a couple of trailers, a big setup team. And so we had come to a place where that was becoming increasingly challenging for our community. And frankly, our community just needed a home. We needed a house. We needed a place to grow up in. Um, and, And that was important to us. So we prayed for a home. We aggressively searched for a home for three years. And then finally, Uh, God provided this amazing facility for us. The challenge, of course, was not locking ourselves into this oppressive debt, which I did not want to do. None of us wanted to do that. It appeared at some times to be like the only way forward, but that was the challenge. Uh, Rich is going to address that in a second. And then the second goal in buying the theater was to have a resource of restoration, a resource that could be used to do restorative work around um, not just for the church, but for the city of Lincoln and for the areas beyond Lincoln. The challenge of meeting this goal, this goal of being, making this a, a, a tool of restoration, a resource for restoration, was all of the logistics related to hosting groups, working with different people with different needs, all of the details and the expenses related to that. All right, so Rich, why don't you give us an update as to how we're doing on those two goals? All right, so um, on that first goal of <clears throat> us provide, uh, purchasing a home without being strangled by debt. Uh, as Nate mentioned, we purchased this facility for around a million dollars, and that includes a lot of the you know, chairs you're sitting in and all the equipment and all that sort of thing as well. Uh, we actually estimate the value of all of that to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.4 uh, million, which is obviously a good investment in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but so do, due to the generosity of Nazarenes uh, in Lincoln back in the 1980s, as well as uh, the generosity from the community and the financial restraint from Emmaus leadership, the board and staff, mm-hmm. we were actually able to, um, to purchase this facility with two-thirds of the million dollars as a down payment, mm-hmm. uh, which means that only one-third of it uh, we incurred as debt. Um, now, here's the fun part about this, is that of that 350, roughly, thousand dollars, uh, we only have $63,000 left to pay off, <laughs> which, which just running the numbers is only 2.4% or 2.6% of the total estimated value. So here's what we want to do. We want to pay off that $63,000 this year in 2019 um, together, obviously. Um, now, but you kind of might ask yourself, well, what's the urgency behind such a relatively small amount of money? It's 2.4% of a much larger number. Um, so this actually brings me to that second point, the second goal of using this facility as a tool of restoration. So um, we have used this facility with other city organizations and, and other partners, but not nearly to the extent that we hope to in the right. future. Um, and, th- and I think this, this building was actually initially even built with that in mind. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the realities start to bear in on uh, what it costs to, to maintain the facility, to, to host other folks, and the, the time it takes, uh, frankly, on a staff level to have people every you know, week in the evenings and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So what we, wanted to, what we were looking at doing 
is kind of getting gazelle intense if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey, right? So get gazelle intense about the last $63,000. Pay that off, be debt free, and then instead of absorb that mortgage payment that we're currently making into our general budget, repurpose those funds uh, to, into being able to utilize this facility entirely uh, to bless our city. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's kind of the vision, that's the hope, yeah. um, so that this, this uh, can become a tool of restoration for our city and we uh, are not strangled by debt. That's great, that's great. And you don't even know this, Rich, because this is something that just happened in the last couple hours. But an anonymous donor approached me uh, and uh, that 63000 is now 33000 because somebody offered $30,000. So we just have a little bit left to go. Isn't that exciting? I know. That's amazing. Yeah. So we're super grateful. And I think uh, with that $30,000 gift, we are, we are so close to striking that debt completely out. Um, and, then, uh, and then we can do some more stuff with this facility as we'd hoped. Great job. Thank you, Rich. All right, I want to transition a bit into thinking about not just uh, what we do together, but how what we do together impacts the rest of the community and the rest of and us in the rest of our lives and the rest of our weeks outside of our uh, time in church. So, Natasha, would you join me up here? Rich, hand Natasha the mic, please. All right. So, some of the... Some of the best work, friends, happening in our community, in our surround... I should introduce you first. This is Natasha Van Vliet. She and her husband, Jeremy, and their son joined our church this year, 2018, officially. So what I was saying was that some of the best work happening in our community is being led by people in this church. But we don't hear about it very often because we mostly are focusing on the ministries that are specifically related to this church. So, um, Natasha, tell us just a little bit about what it is that you do Monday through Friday. Um, I'm a registered nurse, and I'm the nurse manager at Sierra Pregnancy and Health. Um, the slide's not up still, but we, you guys supported us mm -hmm. um, this year, which was wonderful. Um, and we provide free uh, medical services. So we do free ultrasounds, pregnancy tests, um, STD testing, counseling, education, um, free classes, things like that. Great. So mm -hmm. the typical people that you're interacting with throughout the day are? Yeah, we, we see pregnant women mostly, um, and some of them are super happy to be pregnant and excited to start a family or grow their family. Um, and then some are faced with an unplanned pregnancy and just very overwhelmed with the idea of um, of of having a baby um, and, and supporting a baby. And they probably... Um, well, a lot of the time, they're also facing really huge um, issues in their life as well as just that pregnancy. So some difficult circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, you approached me after church. You asked me if I'd remember to pray for you that week because you had an especially heavy Monday on your schedule. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on that day? Right. Um, January was actually like a really heavy month for me um, as a nurse there. Uh, I lost a nurse, and so I w I'm the only nurse doing ultrasounds now. Mm -hmm. So any nurses out there, just talk to me. <laughs> but um, the, the, I had a, a very difficult um, week coming up with um, a few ultrasounds where women just 
um, they weren't, we asked them beforehand at their pregnancy test, which is a separate appointment, um, if they're wanting um, to parent or if they're undecided or they're wanting to choose pregnancy termination. Um, and I had a couple of ultrasounds that it wasn't undecided, it was they wanted to choose pregnancy termination. So those are very difficult for me. Um, I'm the only one sometimes that gets to see that baby ever. So um, it's just heavy. So I was thankful yeah. for prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us finally how your time here in worship with this community relates to what you do on a Monday morning? Yeah, um, so... Uh, on a Sunday, I, I get very, you know, we have solid teaching from you, which um, I can't tell you how many times I've said, at church this Sunday, my pastor said this. <laughs> it's um, always impactful for them as well as it is for us, um, for my patients. Um, in our small group, um, I get to uh, be a little more open about uh, what I deal with throughout the week, mm -hmm. and I have people praying for me constantly. In your home group here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, with children's ministry, I get to see the innocence um, mm -hmm. and of the love of Jesus, and that's so encouraging to me. Um, so um, just all together, my cup really gets filled here, and if I don't have a full cup, I can't pour into other people's lives. So. This isn't planned, but I'd like to pray for Natasha. Would you join me for a minute? Thanks, Lord, for the work that you've called Natasha to do uh, for her and Jeremy's willingness to serve as a nurse in this context. Um, I pray for your power to rest on and within her, that her words would be anointed by your Holy Spirit, that you'd fill her with grace and truth, deep mercy in the name of Jesus, but also this compelling ability to... Um, to, en to enable people to see the truth and to see the light. And I pray for um, effective ministry to these women who are in these totally challenging, uh, multifaceted and complex situations. I pray for strong men to step up to the plate. And I pray for courageous women. Um, and I pray for your mercy on the lives of the unborn. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right, I uh, want to invite four others to join me up here and just share briefly about ways that um, the ministries of Emmaus are impacting the lives of those around us. Thanks, Sam. Good morning, everyone. So one of the ways that um, there is local impact here in our community is a very simple and powerful way that we as a community can show the love of Jesus to other people. And that is by just volunteering to bring a meal to someone who's had a baby, who's in crisis, who's lost um, somebody, or just really going through a really hard time. So, uh, Jean Cross is here, and she has um, uh, she has said that she is willing to share about um, a couple times that our community has reached out to her. Thank you, Sandy. Um, Dan and I are the firstborns in our family, and as such, we are primarily or frequently caregivers and peacemakers among the family. And um, it's been uh, a great life. Uh, but recently, it's become a little bit of a challenge. Uh, in November, 
his brother and sister were both burned out of their homes in the campfire. Uh, and so we brought them down to our house to stay with us. And we started rebuilding their lives, and um, which was challenging. You don't realize all the details there are. And that was going great. And then New Year's Eve, his brother had two strokes and wound up in Sutter uh, Memorial for a couple of days and then went to rehab at Sutter, Sutter Rehab. And the plan was that when he got released in the middle of January, that his sister would be his caretaker and um, provide his, for, for his needs. But on January 16th, um, the day that he was supposed to get out, we found out that she had passed away in her sleep at the hotel. And so uh, we brought his brother home to live with us. And so it's been stressful to, to change your whole lifestyle and, and needs. I was having a meeting with Sandy one morning, and she said, can the church help you and bring some food? And I said, oh, no, no, we're okay. We can, we can handle this. And she asked me, I think, three times. <laughs> and finally I said, okay, yes, it would be really, really nice. Thank you very much. Um, the most important thing is the friendly faces and, and the food and coming in. It was just a bright spot in my day when, when the, those of you who came over showed up, and it was, it was great. And it was a great testimony to Dan's brother, who is not a believer, because he's kind of going, what's, what's this church thing going on? Um, you do not need to be a gourmet cook to provide meals. Uh, you just need to be willing. Uh, whether you bring over a, a purchased meal or a sandwich or a cup of soup, uh, it means a lot to those who are recovering or who are sick or who just can't make one more decision in the day. <laughs> and it's been, it's been really marvelous. Um, our way of saying thank you to Emmaus is to provide food for other peoples in the future. Uh, as soon as we get everything in a, in a row, of course that never happens, but uh, we're, we're going to be signing up to be on the food committee. Awesome. Thank you, Jean. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and that reminds me, if you would like to also be on that team of people that get an email when, um, when meals are needed, please let me know and we'll get you added to that. All right. Um, next, I want to share with you uh, about something that happened about 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, we were having discussions about how can we really help meet needs within our community. And we began to discover that the ones that had the most needs were our single parent families. And at that time, there were about eight to, eight to 10 uh, single moms that had a variety of needs. They were carrying a huge burden, parenting alone, and um, financial problems, so many, so many things. And we decided that we would put into place uh, something that was regular forms of care for them. Basically, what we wanted these families to know is we see you, we love you, we want to care for you in some practical ways to make life a little easier and just partner with you in this journey of life that you're on. So a couple things that we did was um, we offered grocery cards to them each month if they had that need. And the cards were basically just a 
you know, we want to help you during the month to lighten, lighten your load a little bit with groceries. And so we've been just very excited to be able to offer that to them. And often I'll get comments like, oh my goodness, your card came in the mail and it was just what we needed at the right time. We didn't know how we were going to eat that week. Um, so little thing, but super important. And then the second form of care is we do an annual work day for our single parents and widows and um, have heard many uh, forms of feedback on that of this is my favorite day of the year. <laughs> and what happens on that day is uh, beforehand, the moms give me a list of things that are um, needing repair or fixing or uh, a variety of different things. And then we have formed teams of people that will go out um, all on the same day within the like about a three hour period and just take care of those things. And so it's such a joy to be able to do that. Um, a lot of them have said, I don't feel alone in this world because I feel like my church community, my family is coming in and helping me and they, they see my needs. And then the third way is we do events occasionally, usually about three to four a year. Um, that looks like dinner together and then while we're, we're hanging out together, the kids are being cared for in another location so that the moms can have some uh, free time and be able to just be together, have some fun together, and relate to one another. So, um, so that's what's happening in our community right now and the ways that we're caring for them. Another thing I wanted to share is about four years ago, one of the single moms said to me, you know, I've got three boys and they have no man in their life. They don't have a father that's involved. They don't have any extended family. There's nothing. What, what can we do? Like, my boys need mentors. They need to know how to be a man. And that got us thinking, how can we do that? And I remember having a conversation with Denise Alves, and we said, we should start a youth center. <laughs> and you know what? Along with many of you, we did. So, Anglin, take it away. Hit it, Lincoln. It's a safe place for kids here in Lincoln to go to uh, that serves our middle school and high school students. Basically, as you can see behind me, just a bunch of people just hanging out, having a good time, just enjoying each other's company. But more than that, it's just a place for, uh, for kids to, to, again, be safe. So small piece of the puzzle uh, in the grand scheme of things, but uh, last night we were able to celebrate uh, and, and come together as a church family, as a community in Lincoln, and uh, be able to raise uh, quite a bit of money uh, for that youth center in upwards of uh, 30000 So, So it's quite a blessing uh, to, be, uh, to be a part of that, and it's, it's not you know, something that, you know, it's tough for me in, 
to have people come up to me and say, you did such a good job, all the good stuff, it's, it's a team effort. There's a, a bunch of people, uh, adults and, and teens alike, that uh, participate in the process of making sure that that center flows at the way that it does. Um, last night we had about 191 attendees at the, uh, at the fundraiser. Um, like to thank uh, Jose, Dom, Ashley, Debbie Duncan, Michael and Michelle Gargill, and uh, Rich, the closer Lester, for stepping up to the plate <laughs> and making sure that that long line of people got, to, uh, got done with. Um, my wife, Trista, for being there and making sure I don't pull whatever hair I have left on my head out <laughs> and on my face. And uh, Andrea Faria, if you see her, so I had opportunity to like connect with her a little bit just through just through the process and having maybe know that book uh, five love languages have you read it I'm just, if you're married it's probably one of the books you're supposed to read but uh, but anyways kind of like I think her love language is like words of affirmation so when you see her walking around town or here in the church and like those sort of things just uh, just say great job and and, and thank you so much um, that would like speak volumes to her in terms of her efforts um, in, in this fundraiser. Um, but that's all I have to say. I'm a little bit burnt, so if I seem a little bit sluggish this morning, it's not the normal angling, but I appreciate all of you, um, your love and affection for, for the teens, for the center, and just this entire body, just as a community, um, to be able to just rally around and all these numbers and things that are happening is just quite amazing. Um, it's very much so a testimonial of the power and the beauty of the movement of the Holy Spirit and Christ actually doing good things and, and restoring all things. So amen to all of you. So I just want to give you a quick update about what's going on at Phoenix High School. Things change quickly and even numbers change quickly. I told Nate this morning that it's not 42% who are involved in our groups, it's now closer to 50% of the kids who are coming and joining groups. Um, since I spoke to you guys last time, we now have a men's, young men's group at Phoenix High School. I now have, a, I have help with my group that's growing all the time. Carmen's helping me there. And we're, we're now going beyond just our hour. We're there at rallies on Fridays. We're off campus. We're doing things with the girls outside of um, Phoenix High School, which is changing the dynamics. Um, recently, I got an email from one of the teachers on behalf of the staff at Phoenix High School, and her comments were, what you're doing in your hour on campus is changing the learning in our other classes. Because students are actually able to talk about what's going on in their homes and what's going on in their lives somewhere. So when they get to math class and when they get to English class and history, they're actually able to focus on what they need to focus on. So it's just been a great experience, and I'm just grateful for you guys. And there will be more opportunities coming soon where, as we get to know the needs of Phoenix, I'm going to be asking for different types of help, maybe people who are willing to house homeless students on an emergency basis, or maybe people are willing to step into a new level of mentorship. But thank you, guys. All right, um, we're rounding the corner here. I want to thank a few people. Uh, first of all, all of our children's ministry workers, specifically Sarah and Michelle and Neva and Leah 
and Julie, who are leading the charge as a team, uh, serving at least or an average of 55 kids each Sunday. So thank you to our kids team. Thank you to Daryl and Melissa and everyone who serves on our worship team. We're grateful for all of you. Thank you to Carrie and Carl Powell, who bring a ton of food and lead that team, and also Julie and Manuel Thomas, who take care of the kind of the after-party food uh, at the end of things um, each Sunday. So many people to thank. I know that's not even close to everybody, but we want you to know that there's a constant spirit of gratitude happening um, in staff meetings and other places for all of you who are committing serious time. Uh, and we just want to highlight two more specifically. Yeah, there's two people that are going to love that I'm doing this right now. Uh, Jeff Jenkins and Chris Henyon. There you are. Come, can you guys come up here real quick? These are, the, these are two gentlemen who serve behind the scenes that you never, that you never see. So, so who here has an iPhone? You know that like, right? You know that little favorites list of the phone numbers that you dial, like your wife and or your spouse. These guys are on my like little favorites, you know, speed dial. So I call them like constantly. They're at, they actually serve like staff here, um, but they're not paid. And so, um, so, uh, so anyway, these guys are blessing you constantly, and you don't know it. Um, so I know you guys don't like this sort of thing and like serving behind the scenes, but uh, we did uh, just wanted to be able to contribute to you guys uh, to go on a little vacation. So anyway, you guys, we love you guys very, very much, and you guys have done tremendous work here. I'm going to try to preach the fastest sermon of my life. Uh, it's planned to be quick, but it'll be even quicker than planned. Turn to Luke 24. Luke 24. Uh, Emmaus Road story. I know not all of you have heard about why we're called this strange name, Emmaus, and I want to explain it to you. Also, I know that vision leaks, and it can be easy to forget like the core of the vision that has launched into uh, so many of the things that we're talking about. So I'm going to read a little bit about this story, Luke 24, starting in verse 13. It's on page 738 in the Red Bibles, and offer some comments and invite you to write down in your handout some notes as we go, if you like. <clears throat> Luke writes, now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. Okay, that's a master's thesis right there. Same day as Easter morning, two of them refers to two disciples of Jesus, people who've been following Jesus for a while, and they're going to Emmaus. So Friday, Jesus was killed. Now it's Sunday morning. These two disciples of Jesus are like, we're out. We are so disappointed with the way it has gone that we're quitting. And we're going to a place where our way of thinking that is, that the Savior of God should overthrow the oppressor through force worked last time. Because about 100 years earlier, there was a Jewish revolution that actually threw down some violence and made some impact, and it happened in Emmaus. And they're going back to that place, because it's the closest thing they can think of to what they wanted to happen, which was that they would be freed from the oppression of Rome. But that's not what happened. Jesus was killed. Proof that he was a fraud. 
And so they're quitting. And they're walking away. Verse 14. Uh, they, were, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. We love this. We love that Jesus comes up and joins these broken, disappointing quitters in the middle of their brokenness, that he joins them right where they are. I love that. That's foundational to the philosophy of ministry that birthed this church. We want to be a church that joins people in their brokenness. That come, did you see how it says he came up, right? Um, he came, where is it? Uh, I should have picked a bigger Bible. Um, they were walking with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. The, the, the image is very much that he speeds up to catch up to them and then slows down to, to match their pace and walk alongside with them. And then they're kept from recognizing him. What's that all about? I have no idea. What's keeping them from recognizing this man with whom they've shared life? For probably a couple of years. Is it the brokenness? Is it the disappointment? Is it the radical self-centeredness? Is it their ultimate like, foundational commitment to consumerism and getting what they want? Is it God? I don't know. Verse 17. Jesus asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? We love that. We love that Jesus begins this uh, conversation with a question. How brilliant, how humble, how inviting, how authentic. He doesn't come up and say, hey, you got, you're missing the parties back here. You're totally mistaken. No. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I just uh, heard a guy who's like a famous coach, and he says the first three questions you should ask somebody, the first one is, what's on your mind? So trying to like help them to discover what they really want to do with their life. What's on your mind? That's what Jesus does. What are you talking about? And the second question that this coach says you should ask is, and what else? That's brilliant. And that's what, I think he's influenced by this story also. Because Jesus says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And that question, it drops them. They stood still. Their faces downcast. Have you ever had an emotion that you're just, you're just barely keeping under control? You're just barely functioning at a normal level because this emotion is just welling up and it's like all you can do to kind of keep your public, uh, like, uh, com com what's the word? Composure. That's ironic. And uh, Freudian slip. <laughs> Freud was right about some things. And, um, and then all it takes is for somebody to ask the right question and, and you're, you're done, right? That's what happens here. Jesus says, what are you talking about? And they stop walking. And they looked down. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And here's Jesus saying, oh, and what else? What things, he says. Powerful. This is effective evangelism. Asking good questions. And they, then they launch. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came in, they told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see got all the facts right, but they don't see it. And Jesus says, how foolish you are. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Jesus is like, this is the way it was written from the beginning. You're so dull in your thinking and in your faith. You've missed it. You're foolish. So there's all this grace and there's all this truth, right? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, and he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself, which was the best sermon ever preached that's not recorded. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly. And I love this word. This is the Greek parabiosomai. They, ur- they used They compelled him by force. They grabbed him by his collar. They wouldn't take no for an answer. You can't keep going. Why? Because they're so compelled, he has offered a perspective on their pain that is so life-giving. It's so compelling that they they cannot let him keep walking. He's got to stay with them. they got to hear more from this man. And so they parabiosomai, they, they force him to stay with him. They say, come have a meal with us. And he comes in. Are we offering a perspective on life? Are we offering a perspective on people's pain that is at all compelling, that might actually result not in us saying like, hey, I got four things I got to tell you about God, but actually might result in them saying, would you please tell me about your faith? Because your perspective on life is compelling to me. I got to hear more about that. When he was at the table with them, he took bread He gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's like, now we recognize it's Jesus. Before that, we didn't recognize him, but we began to feel that it was him because our hearts were burning. There was something happening even before we recognized him. There's this grace that goes before, this grace that reaches even the broken, even in the discouragement, even in the, in the rebellion, even in the I'm quitting this, this, this stirring because they're drawing near to the truth. The truth's drawing near to them and now they recognize him. And then Luke writes this, um, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem which, by the way, is the city from which they have come. There they found the eleven, those are the other disciples, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true! The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Just so good. And so the, the, um, the arc of the story is this road to a table. And at the table, 
um, truth is revealed, and these travelers are enabled to receive the truth. Their eyes are opened, and then immediately they get up at once and they get back on the road. So the Emmaus vision is road, table, road. It's joining people where they are in their brokenness, offering perspective on their pain, sharing our pain with them in their pain, right? And then coming to a place, all of us, to a table where we experience the mysterious, sacred, powerful, eye-opening presence of God. And then we stay at the table and we sing. No, we get up off the seat, right? And we go back into our brokenness as missionaries now, right? With a message, with something to say. We go back to the place where the confusion happened, where the brokenness happened, where the sin happened, where the rebellion happened, and we're changed now, but now we're coming with a message. It's true. Jesus is alive. Changes everything. It changes everything, right? And so the vision of our church since the beginning has been to share life with one another. Comes right out of this Emmaus Road story. To discover Jesus, meaning ongoing discovery of the significance of the lordship of Jesus in our lives, ongoing throughout life. Not as a one-time event, but as an ongoing life of sanctification, of discovering and realizing the reality of Christ, and then... Engaging brokenness, the brokenness of the world, with a real message so that we can join God in his mission, which is to restore all things to their created purpose. Friends, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. And uh, I hope you've been encouraged by some of the ways that we've shared how it is, it is happening. And I hope that we will renew our commitment um, to continue to serve as part of this little church community here in Lincoln, California. I'm grateful. Uh, so grateful to be a part of this community with all of you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the grace uh, that you have poured out upon us for vision, for good reminders, for provision of this home, for favor uh, in the city with students and youth, uh, for the healing of families, for food that is shared, all the things. We're grateful, and we pray, Lord, for an ongoing outpouring of your Holy Spirit to uh, captivate us and to continue to pull us forward. May we join you in your great restorative work, Lord. Increasingly, may we go out beyond the walls of this place with truth and grace. May we be used by your Spirit to open eyes of those who are really longing for you. In Jesus' name, amen.